This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. You? Yes, all good, thank you. Um, good weekend, good. Blackburn won, so... That's good news for for me and my my job. Not as as great for Manchester United in your case. No, certainly not a, a bad day at the office losing to Aston Villa on a Sunday afternoon. But you can't win them all, as they say. I should have started this podcast with Good Evening. Mm, yes, they've officially been at Unai Emery, haven't they? They've been at Good Evening. Yeah, back with a bang. Told Unai two up after eleven minutes, and from that moment onwards, it were it were one way traffic. But yeah. Bad day for United, but we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about the best league in the world, which is the Championship. Absolutely. You should come cover a Championship club like me. It's a bundle of fun. Um, And we've got a good episode coming up in the next hour or so. So thank you for listening. As always, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please go and visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure to go and check them out. And on today's podcast, of course, we'll be breaking down another busy weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And George, there really is only one place to start on this weekend's roundup, and that is at Bramall Lane, where Sheffield United beat league leaders Burnley 5-2, ending their... You know, I've lost count how many games, to be completely honest. 16. 16 matches unbeaten for the Clarets, having only lost to Watford previously, and having led twice at Bramall Lane for Sheffield United to just pulverise them in the second half. What a comeback, what a game. I was sat enjoying it in the uh, the press room at Blackburn, and as you can imagine, every single goal that went in for Sheffield United was cheered by those in the uh, in the media suite. It was a, a quality game, in truth, on, on the on the match as a spectacle itself. It was a quality game between, in my opinion, the best two teams in the Championship. I think they are the two teams that will get automatically promoted. Watching that game only reinforced that opinion for me, that they are the best two teams. They've got the most quality. They've got the best squads. And I think it was a fantastic spectacle, full, full of narrative, plenty of talking points. And as I say, Sheffield United's comeback in the second half was fantastic. They, they were everything that... They have been over the last 12 months under Paul Heckenbottom. They were physical, they were aggressive, they were intense. And quite frankly, they were a nightmare to play against for Burnley, who just couldn't cope with them. And obviously, there were some brilliant storylines in there, a, a redeeming arc for, for Jack Robinson, having scored an own goal, which was quite unlucky, but then a horrendous error to allow Manuel Benson to put Burnley 2-1 up in the first half. But you never felt Sheffield United were out of it at any point because the, the, every time the ball went in Burnley's box, there was anarchy. There was absolute chaos. Um, Power Bellis had to clear one off the line at, uh, at 2-1 from McBurney. They had so many chances. Murray pulled off some good saves. And then, of course, the, the goals started flooding in and, and McBurney with a really good header. That's nine for the season for him, potent as ever. It looks like the, the player that Sheffield United paid £25 million for, £20 million, whatever it was, um, after scoring all those goals, goals for Swansea. And... I was never concerned with Sheffield United when, when they went on the poor run, the six games unbeaten, probably more so towards the back end because they were just leaking goals in a uncharacteristic manner. But the defeat at Stoke, 
Um, it was just, uh, you know, the home defeat to QPR. The amount of injuries they had and still have got, although they've got a few back, which is certainly helping. Uh, Anel Ahmed, Ahmed Odzic has, has made such a difference coming back into the defence, having a natural left footer at left centre-back in Jack Robinson, even if he had a mixed afternoon, having someone who's naturally left-footed on that side is a big plus. And the Stevens came back as well for this one. Osborne's been back in recent weeks in midfield. So they look far stronger. I think they just stepped things up. And when when they're playing at the best, having McBurney and having Njai at full tilt, they're as good as anyone in this division. And and certainly, Burnley couldn't handle the, the aerial threat, the physicality, the intensity that Sheffield United played with in that second half. And it was a, a real statement victory for the Blades. Certainly was a statement victory. It was a fantastic game, first and foremost. A cracking advert for the Championship. I watched all of it. I was... I was working at the time, so I was trying to keep best an eye on it best I could. But to be honest with you, I kind of probably get more of an eye on it than I should have while I was working. It was that entertaining and that gripping. But no, it was a fantastic game and, you know, one of the best I think we'd like to see in the Championship this season. But like you say, probably between the two best teams in the Championship. Obviously, Burnley, they, you know, they started reasonably well. Obviously, got the lead. Then obviously, were pegged back, got the lead again. Obviously, Giff wrapped the goal for, for Benson second. But Sheffield United, you know, Right from the start of the second half, if you come out and get a goal within two minutes of the restart, you've got a chance of winning the game. And from that moment onwards, there was only going to be one winner in that game. Burnley, I can't really recall testing West Fodringham once in the second half. It was just one-way traffic. And the Blades, you know, every time you looked up, looked at the screen watching watching the game, it was just, you know, a United attack relentlessly. And Paul Heckingbottom has got just the sort of response that he wanted over this past week after that, that little bit of a blip that they experienced. Three wins out of three, you know, Two clean sheets in that run, both away from home. That they've announced that they're back in this race firm, firmly. You know, people started to doubt them a little bit after that run that they had, losing to to Stoke, to QPR, to Coventry. You know, the Blackpool game was bonkers as well. The Norwich game that they had to come from two 0 down in. But like you said, they've recovered a lot of players. They've still got a fair few out, but they've recovered a lot compared to where they were about three or four weeks ago. So it shouldn't be a great surprise really that they've started to turn things around again. And you've always said that you feel that you know they've got one of the most complete squads in this division when they're fully fit, and I think we're seeing that again. And when you've got a front two that are in such sparkling form that they are in Illiman and Jai and, and Ollie McBurney, I mean you've got a good chance of beating anybody. But they, they were helped by some calamitous Burnley defending. Let's be honest, United had sussed them out. High balls into the box from corners, long balls over the top, obviously for the fifth one. It was it was atrocious from Burnley at the back. Let, let's be honest, and you know we've sat here many times in the last few weeks as Burnley went on that run, going unbeaten week after week, and praised the hell out of them. But I think we've got every right to be critical this week because defensively, you know, if say for example that was Huddersfield or, or Middlesbrough, for instance, Bristol Boston, City, we'd be ripping them to shreds. So you know Burnley deserved the same treatment. It was very very poor, but you have to look at it on the flip side to Burnley. Yes, they are allowed an off day. Every team experiences one in this league and the challenge now for Vincent Company ahead of a massive game of Blackburn next weekend, which I'm sure we'll speak on shortly, is to eradicate the issues and prove it was just a, an off day. It, it can't you know, be a persistent issue. But for the Blades, I mean, very, very impressive. I thought they were excellent, certainly in the second half. You know, they, they peppered that Burnley goal and they could have scored even more than the five they got. And it was just a breathtaking game. It was relentless. It was entertaining. It was everything that we love about the Championship. Just going back to Amahodzic, I mean, you look at his stats this season and it, it's remarkable. Sheffield United, 
have lost four championship games so far this season. He's not featured in three of those. The only one of those defeats he played in was the 1-0 defeat at Coventry, so it proves how vital he is. And, you know, he can chip in at the other end of the field. It's remarkable now. He's got four goals and two assists in, in 14 games. Not bad for a centre-back. And he's looking like an astute piece of business. So, with him at the back, you know, McBurney and Jai up front, the experienced heads of, of Norwood in the middle, Baldock, you know, out wide, the wing-back rolls. United have got everything you need. And, you know, if Paul Heckingbottom can hopefully keep these guys fit now, they've got just as good a chance as anybody on, on the evidence that we saw at the weekend. So, a very good performance. You know, for Sheffield United fans, they probably were in dreamland on Saturday evening. Couldn't believe what they'd witnessed considering the run Burnley, was on, Burnley were on. So the challenge for United now is to keep things going ahead of, you know, the World Cup break. They've got two more games left before the pause. Three wins in a row. Let's see if they can make it five on the trot by this time next week. Yeah, Burnley were, were horribly exposed with four set-piece goals, weren't they? Vincent Company put it down to exhaustion, both physically and mentally, not having the... They had the desire second half, but they didn't have the physical capabilities to match Sheffield United, both in terms of aggression, physicality, intensity. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing from a Blackburn perspective with that game coming next Sunday that they've, they've been trounced because, you know, if you're ever going to get a reaction, it's going to be in a derby game. But equally, there's the blueprint of how you cause problems. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a fascinating game next Sunday and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. The, the team obviously now in second, George, is Blackburn Rovers. They beat Huddersfield Town 1-0 at Ewood Park to make it six wins in a row in the league. It's the first time they've managed that since 1994-95, which of course was the year they won the Premier League title. And they're now only two points off top spot behind Burnley. Deserved winners in this one against Huddersfield. Eight wins from 10 at home, in best in the league this season. And... The one standout moment of real quality was uh, was what yielded the goal. Lovely pass from Harry Pickering over the top, who his range of passing is, has really been shown off this season when he's played either more inverted and he's had the opportunities to spray those passes. I've done a few pieces on, on site about it. It was a lovely ball over the top and it unlocked what had been a very stubborn Huddersfield defence for the opening 20, I think it was 35th minute, the goal went in from, for half an hour. There wasn't a shot of note from either team with Blackburn dominating the ball and trying to to prize open the, the Huddersfield back line, which were, were sat very deep, which you don't blame them for away from home when they're in the form they are. But lovely ball. And once he's right side of um, of the defender, he, he just he bullies him, comes inside, and it's just a brilliant finish into the far corner, gives the goalkeeper Lee Nichols the eyes. And that's nine for the season for him. And they've just got to keep him fit and keep him at the club beyond January, which I definitely think they will. I don't see why the club would refuse offers and be so stubborn on the asking price in the summer only to sell him when his you know his uh, his valuation will be reduced even more by the fact his contract's running out so I think they'll keep him till the summer and if he goes for free then he goes for free and they write that off but they've got more chance getting promoted with him in the team for the rest of the season they have getting six seven eight million pounds in January and reinvesting that in my opinion I don't think they'll be able to buy a player that has the star quality that he has and it was a game, as I say, Blackburn dominated for 70 minutes in particular. They, they then, very the last 15, 20 minutes were very strange because they had dominated. Huddersfield had offered absolutely nothing going forward. But then they took a striker off for a centre-back and it they just completely sat off Huddersfield. I don't know if the change made the players think that's what they were meant to do, but it just gave the initiative to Huddersfield. And it, it was a bit of a weird decision to make. Not not I don't necessarily think the sub caused it because I think they could have made that sub and still been attacking and still gone for the second but maybe it sends a message to your players either way they dropped off the last 20 minutes and Huddersfield 
did put the pressure on, but probably shows where Huddersfield are that they got nowhere near the goal, really. They had a couple of chances, one for Radoni at 1-0 um, before this change happened, where he sort of mishit it um, from a cross. And then uh, an opportunity where Ward went round a couple of defenders and Pickering cleared it from in front of the line. But apart from that, Kaminsky didn't really have a save to make and Lee Nichols had a few to make outside the goal. But a uh, good win for Blackburn, deserved win. And it's, uh, it's eight wins out of ten, five wins out of six in total. They're on good form going into that big derby. They certainly are. It's remarkable, really, isn't it? And you, you, you look at Blackburn's sequence of results, and you wonder, are they ever going to draw a game again? I don't think so. That is the question. It's just been a constant cycle of win lose this season, hasn't it? Obviously, still waiting that first draw. But well, they didn't. They didn't they draw any of their last five. I think it was in the league last season. So if you throw in those plus World Cup games, I think they're on twenty-five games now. Uh, not World Cup games. When you throw in cup games, I meant to say, if you throw in cup games and the back end of last season, I think it's twenty-five now without a draw. That's bonkers. That really is bonkers. But no, it's, it just keeps things going nicely, doesn't it? Obviously, another weekend that they finished it in the top two. And like you say, it was that man, Ben Burton Diaz, coming up with the moment of quality to get the job done. And it's what he always does. It was a, To me, it was a typical Ben Burton Diaz goal. You know, yeah. coming in on that right foot. We know we know what that right foot is capable of. And we know what he's capable of. And it just gets another, another win on the board for Blackburn. And, you know, after Sheffield United won, obviously in the early kickoff, the incentive was there for Blackburn to climb back into the top two and as well as that, reduce the gap on Burnley ahead of next week. So, you know, it's it's looking very, very positive. And, you know, there's been criticism of Yondal Thomason's team at times, obviously, about the inconsistency when they were going through that patch. But in the last few weeks, like you said, five wins in six, the only blip being that defeat at Coventry in the week, which, you know, was fully justified. They deserved to lose that game. Coventry were the better side on the night. Yondo Thomason seems to be getting more of a consistency out of what is still, you know, a relatively young group of players. And as I said last week, or it might be the week before, I can't remember, I said something like, you know, for a team that is still young, quite inexperienced in parts, for a new manager still learning the league, learning his players, to be in the position they're in after, you know, nearly the halfway mark of the season, is incredibly good going. And people keep saying, can they keep it up? Can they keep it up? A lot of it will obviously rest on Ben Burton Diaz, you know, will he uh, will he stay, will he go come January? But I just fear for Blackburn, you know, at a time like this with the form they're in, could this World Cup pause come at the wrong time for them? Could well, it if be you ask anyone them? around Blackburn or you ask John Dahl Thomason, they can't wait for it because all their signings well, came, ver- came very late in the, the summer window. It, He's been talking worked. about this pre-season. He's been seeing it as a second pre-season. He's been speaking about it since... Um, since September the 1st when the window shut that, that they will be a better team after it shuts so obviously the way he's been talking about it you're almost expecting Prime Barcelona to come out after the break well, but they are they're well ahead of schedule keep it going. but yeah they, they are they are there's no doubt about that they've been good to watch and you know yeah they've had little bits of inconsistency at times but that's the nature of the championship but to be second the most wins of anybody in the league it's really really good going and it sets it up perfectly obviously for that game with with Burnley next weekend. And then, of course, there's another derby straight after the World Cup, isn't there, with the game against Preston at Ewood Park yeah. on the uh, 10th of December. So, you know, a big couple of games coming up with a lot more than just the points at stake. So for Blackburn, you know, it's a big period. Norwich to come after that and then Sunderland on Boxing Day. So, you know, there's a big period looming for them. But if they can get through this, you know, like Yondon Thomas said, the World Cup break, they're going to be supposedly better after this. You best hope they are, otherwise he's going to be left with egg on his face. But 
let's be honest, they're, they're having a fabulous time and they're winning games. And, you know, obviously they were the better side against Huddersfield. There's no denying that. But when, when you look at the scoreline and that alone, you see a 1-0 win and you think, mm, they won 1-0 at Hull last weekend. They beat Sunderland 2-0. You know, they're, they're winning games that on scoreline sort of thing look quite tight and quite narrow. It's those 1-0 wins I've always said that could be the most important, just finding that moment of quality to win the game. And when Blackburn have got someone like Ben Brereton Diaz in the team, you're going to be able to do that. So, you know, onwards and upwards for them, just keeps the momentum flowing. And that home form could be very, very crucial. They're looking brilliant at Ewood Park this season. Five of the next six games are on Sky Sports, funnily enough. Um, it was the first time that I've watched Huddersfield live. It... Sorry? The new Watford with the loving. And Burnley, yeah. Um, it's the first time I've seen Huddersfield live in the flesh. Obviously, I've seen plenty of them on the TV. And I have to say, I, I was concerned. They're not awful at the back anymore. He's definitely tightened them up, Mark Fotheringham. But they've they just got no quali- no quality, no penetration offensively at all. Um, Etienne Kamara was probably their best player in midfield. But he got booked and then taken off. Um, the World Cup break is going to be so important to them, I think, to work on patterns of play to work on attacking style. And I think the January window, they're going to have to spend some money or I genuinely think they will get relegated. If they don't sign some players in January and they don't use the break well to work on attacking patterns of play, because in fairness to Fotheringham, with the fixtures, he's had no chance to work on the training ground. So job no. one is tighten them, tighten them up because as we've seen with Bristol City, it's oh. more important to be better defensively than offensively. But they've got to come out with a bit more attacking quality after the break or I do think they'll struggle to win enough games oh. to stay up. And they need some signings in January. I think they're already in really, really deep trouble. Because like like you said to me when you messaged me on Saturday evening after the game, just saying how they've got absolutely nothing up front. I look at some stats on on Sunday morning and, you know, they've scored one in five. You think back to that goal, it was a complete fluke. It was a cross. Against against Millwall. But don't get me wrong, against Millwall, they should have added to that tally. They did create chances in that game, to be fair. They should have won it a lot more convincingly. But you think back to that, they won that by a, a fluke goal. The only team they beat recently was a really, really poor Hull City side who were at the time really struggling. And, you know, you think back and you and you look at the start of the season, they were off it from the very word go. Or Admittedly, that first game of the season, it was against Burnley, really good team. But they never really looked like they were going to get into any sort of rhythm under Danny Schofield. And obviously, that came crashing down early. Mark Fotheringham, very questionable choice. You know, not really done anything as a manager at all. And then you look at the way he's kind of spoken, certainly in the media, about the way he's kind of handled things and kind of telling his players, you know, if you don't pull your weight, not be part of my plans, this and that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think when you're a manager, if you're acting like that on the training ground, in the dressing room, dictating orders out like that, and the players are sat there thinking, well, who the hell are you? What have you achieved in your managerial career? Are they going to buy into that method? of being like really aggressive with them and almost hanging them out to dry. It's not as if he's got a CV that can prove that he's done this and done that. So I think, you know, obviously he needs a little bit more time to see how he goes, but I've already got a sneaking suspicion that this is going to backfire on Huddersfield. Mm, interesting. Probably the, the biggest win... Probably the biggest winners of the week, George, were Preston North End, and they beat Reading 2-1 on Friday nights. Three wins in a row for PNE, who've shot up into sixth in the table. I had to double do a double take when I had a look at the table after the fixtures on Saturday and saw they were sat in the playoff places. But it was a win they deserved. Um, obviously beat Swansea in midweek 1-0, and then to go to Reading, 
and get the result is, is a really good performance and really good result for, for Ryan Lowe's side. And they deserve the win, as I say. Two goals for Chad Evans as well. To, they come along like London buses after none in a year. But the, the second goal was a lovely strike. The way he cuts across it, left to right. Um, brilliant strike. And I think it was justice, to be honest, because I tell you what, it was never a penalty in a million years for the foul, for alleged foul by Robbie Brady on, uh, I think it was Andy Yeardom at the byline. He, he does not touch him. I'm sorry, that's not a penalty. And that could have cost Preston. So justice in the end that they got back in front. And it just shows that I think Preston, of course, they've got, I think, 11 clean sheets this season. So that the record defensively is obviously amazing. But I just, they're not, I don't see them and think they are. They should be the standard of a top six team this season. And yet, look, look what happens if you string a few wins together. Three wins in a row and you sat sixth. So, credit to Ryan Lowe for a good week. He changed the system recently. He's gone back to the 3-5-2 now. Um, but nonetheless, Preston playing a little bit more confidence and really could and should have probably been more comfortable because it was never a penalty. No, I don't think it was either. But I suppose it's just one of those, you know, this day and age sort of thing. You know they're going to be given. He got the wrong side of him, didn't he? And you know the ref seen the alleged contact, and down he goes. But luckily for Preston, it didn't hinder them too much, and they got the job done. But yeah, what a week it's been for them. It's been a remarkable week. Obviously, started by beating a poor Middlesbrough side, then obviously a bit of a shock by beating Swansea in the week. Obviously, we're behind them at that stage, and all of a sudden, the two points in front of them. So they've really uh, climbed the ladder rapidly. Have pressed, and they're only a point now behind Norwich in fourth, which you wouldn't have believed a few weeks ago, even when they won at Carrow Road three-two. I don't know about four or five weeks ago, something now. But you know, I had Preston for a team that I thought could, you know, knock on the door of the playoffs this season. And after that bizarre start to the season where they just couldn't put the ball in the net but weren't conceding goals at all. You just thought it's just going to be a mid-tailed mediocrity season, and it might still prove to be. There's a lot of football to be played, but you know, like you said, three wins in a week can do wonders in this league. And there's another team that I'm going to mention in that sort of sequence later on, which we'll come on to. And you know, I look at Ryan Lowe, and I think, yeah, there is a very good manager in there. Did an exceptional job at Plymouth. He's doing a good job at Preston. You know, they've I think they've taken some like the third or fourth most points in the championship this calendar year. So the stats are there to prove he's doing a very good job, considering, you know, they don't spend much money, they never have, it's never been their model. And the squad, you know, it's not littered with top-end championship stars, but I think what it has got is a team of genuine, hard-working players that want to fight for Ryan Lowe, fight for the club. And they're proving that now, you know. They're 20 games into the season, they've, they've only lost five times. That's a re- you know, that's a really good stat. They've won eight, they've almost won half of their games, so... You know, they'd have found the shooting boots a little bit more in those first few weeks. Who knows where they could have been. And there were some games, weren't there, in in those first few weeks. The whole game sticks in my mind, particularly, which was a nil-nil draw at home. They had a few results they should have definitely won. That was the second game of the season. I remember that one vividly. You know, but... Wigan as well. That was the opening day, wasn't it? It was, yeah. They should have won both of those games, really. Yeah, and that's the thing. So it just goes to show that, you know, with a little, you know, a bit more quality at the top end of the pitch... Who knows where they could be? And, you know, if they can keep this up, who knows, you know, depending where they are in January, could they be tempted to possibly dive into the transfer market and maybe do something just to bolster the squad? A little bit of Cameron Archer on loan. Come back for a second second honeymoon. Repeat that little trick and bring someone like that in. But, you know, they've got one more game before the World Cup. They don't play in midweek, so they've got Millwall at home next Saturday. 
you know, Millwall aren't the best away from home. That that is a game, Preston. You know, they could win that. And obviously, it depends what happens in midweek elsewhere. But if they end this, you know, this first period of the season in the top six, that is a really, really good achievement and well ahead of schedule for what you'd expect for them. So, you know, a really good week. Chad Evans will be delighted to have got a couple of goals. Obviously, he's not had the best of times this season. Ryan Lowe said, are you ready to go again after playing in midweek against Swansea? Obviously, Preston played Friday night, literally three days later. And yeah, he was ready to go again and he fully justified his inclusion. So, really good week for Preston, you know, three wins out of three. Perfect way to bounce back to that Blackpool defeat as well, let's not forget. Obviously, losing that one 4-2 a week before the Borough game. So, looking good for, for Ryan Lowe at the minute and, and long may it continue because I think Preston, you know, if they're one of those teams that if they're at it, I think they've got the ability to cause quite a few surprises. Big week for West Bromwich Albion as well, George. Back-to-back wins for Indeed. Carlos Corberan. Back-to-back clean sheets as well, which is probably arguably just as important. 1-0 win against Blackpool in the week and then a 1-0 win at Queen's Park Rangers, which they were a decent value for, to be fair. And I'm impressed by how Huddersfield 2021-22 they look rather than Huddersfield 2020-21 they look already. Um, they were really good at set pieces. They didn't give away much from open play. And West Brom have been so much tighter, so much better in that regard. Already just, what, three games into the Corbran era. So they're looking good. Um, it was a Carl Bartley header, of course, that won in them the game. And it's just massive for them to get, first of all, off the bottom of the table. And now only now only a point away from uh, from safety with Hull just above them. Really, really important for Corbran to get off the mark early, I think, because I think the panic could have set in that they could get cut adrift because I think you look at the bottom and all of those sides could potentially pull away. Middlesbrough, you'd expect to pull away. West Brom, um, you would have expected to. Hull probably will feel they can do so. So if he'd not got off to a good start, there could have been some panic there. But really good performances this week, or certainly better performances, good enough performances to get results in the Championship, which they've not produced for the vast majority of this season. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. Two clean sheets. I think Alex Palmer will be filled with a bit of confidence because he's had a tough season, him and uh, Button rotating and not having much protection in front of them. He pulled off a good save in this game, which I'm not convinced he would have made two weeks ago, having watched the Millwall goal, for example, the second one that was the winner. That was pretty poor from him. And I think young lad in the team for his first real stint at championship level needs a bit of protection. And I think he will start to grow in confidence now as well if... He's getting a bit more protection from his back line. Yeah, definitely. What a week it's been for, for Carlos Corber. Obviously, you know, first game with Sheffield United at home, that was never going to be an easy task. And he'd only had literally a matter of days with the players at that point just to get to know them and, you know, try and thrash out a plan. So you can't be too critical on that one. But they've responded brilliantly, haven't they? Two wins out of two, back-to-back clean sheets, you say. And obviously to go away, first away game against a team that's been flying at home in the top six, and by all accounts, they, they bossed that game from, from the reports I've seen. And I was actually watching the Gillette Soccer Saturday on Saturday afternoon and they were saying that West Brom, for, for the most part, had been the better side. And when the goal went in, they were fully deserving of it. And Kyle Bartley's obviously got up and, and got the job done. And like you said, all of a sudden, West Brom are in a position where you think, you know, they're going to be absolutely fine now. Obviously, a lot of work to be done for Carlos Colbran. He's not going to get carried away. But, you know, when you look at the teams that are down there, Hull, Wigan, Huddersfield, 
you'd bank on West Brom to be the one that's going to escape that pack more than any other because of the, the quality that they've got and they've brought in a very good manager as well. So, you know, you look at West Brom now, all of a sudden one victory could lift them, say if they play tomorrow, Monday as we record Sunday evening, they could jump all the way up to 15th. It just proves how tight this league is. So, you know, if they go on a bit of a run, put two or three wins together, who knows where it could take them. So, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to go and finish in the top six now after two 1-0 wins, but you've certainly got a lot more confidence about them moving forward that they are going to get out of this mess that they're in. And I think the other thing that West Brom have got in their favour in comparison to the other teams at the bottom is the fact that they've lost fewer games than anyone else inside the bottom seven, which proves, obviously, you know, there was the debate under Steve Bruce, performances certainly at the start of the season were there. They just weren't getting the rewards in front of goal. So I think they've definitely got better quality than those in and around them. So I think they'll be absolutely fine now. They've got it right going for Carlos Corbran, obviously. As I say, it's two games. You don't want to get carried away. But I think the fact that, you know, you've gone to a team like QPR and won, you've beaten a Blackpool side at home that, you know, up and down, but, you know, have been in relatively good form of late. You know, back-to-back clean sheets too. So a lot, a lot to be pleased with for Carlos Corbran and, you know, he'll look at that game next weekend. Stoke City at home, two points between them in the table at the minute. If they can win that, make it a hat-trick of wins to go into the World Cup break, that that would be, you know, nine points from his first 12. If he gets it, I think he'd have snapped your hand off at that. Absolutely. Uh, interesting to look at QPR's form since the uh, the whole Mick Beal scandal with Wolves. Uh, it's Wobbly not great, bit, aren't they? They've only won once. They've only won one game and it's now free without a goal for the Ars as well. And they've got Chris Willock back in the team. So that just doesn't quite add up to what we know with QPR. But I'm sure sure things will iron themselves out over the next few weeks for QPR and they'll reset during the World Cup pause. Uh, Big week for Coventry as well, George. They took six points this week, beat Blackburn 1-0 in midweek, which they definitely deserved. And then a, a really good win at Watford, 1-0 at Vicarage Road. And it was a really nice goal, really well worked. Giocares finishing it um, from a Jamie Allen pass. You have to say they were let off by some very, very wasteful Watford finishing. I have no idea how Ismail Assar missed from very close range. Ball across the box from the uh, from the left from Kamara. Stealing in at the far post somehow. I think if he just lets it hit him, it goes in. But the fact that he just put too much on it and put it over the bar somehow. But I want to talk about Coventry's defensive record because the numbers are absolutely bonkers. Now, I'm sure we have all noticed that Coventry have tightened up this season in the recent weeks in their good form. But the numbers behind it are pretty funny. So 13 goals they conceded in their first six league games, which is obviously over two a game, which is pretty awful. Since then, they've conceded four goals in 11 matches and kept nine clean sheets. That is absolutely like that is a turnaround for a turnaround. Now, they were good defensively last season, so the 13 in six is, was a shot, but they weren't 11, nine clean sheets in 11 and conceding four goals. It's bonkers. They obviously conceded two against Rotherham. I always said that they'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, I did too, but it was more when they weren't keeping clean sheets and stuff, I was a bit more concerned because that's nothing to do with the home form, is it? We've spoke about the the fact that they were better playing at home and that was undoubted and they were going to get more points the more home games they played, but they were still leaking goals when they were playing at home. You know, they they conceded two against... The the four goals, ironically... Well, ironically, the four goals they have conceded were two against Rotherham at home and two against Blackpool at home in the two games they only picked one point from, so... But nine, nine clean sheets in 11 is brilliant. We've said 
relentlessly. If you keep clean sheets in the championship, we've got a great chance of getting points. And Mark Robbins is, is really turning them around and they're up to 15th in the table, which is just mental. It is. And another stat there, though, five clean sheets in a row away from home. That is impressive. I mean... Yeah, Here's your homework. Home. When was the last time Coventry did that? I'll check that one out. I didn't give you, I didn't give you any homework last weekend. Did, it? did you not? Weekend, I don't think so. See, he bullies me, listeners. He bullies me into giving me homework. I do all the work with the podcast page and he bullies me. He loves Disgrace. it. Disgrace. But no, Coventry, I mean, flying at the minute. Absolutely flying. You know, you, you were there in midweek, weren't you, for the Blackburn game. You said they looked really good, really confident. And to go to Watford, I must admit, I did have that on my acre at the weekend. I did have Coventry to win. The bad news, the rest of it failed. I was going to say, the, the other 12 that you normally put on for a pound, I imagine, didn't come in. That was another six, actually. But no, Coventry, you know, I just had a sneaky feeling that they're going to Watford and win. I really did. I just thought it was that sort of game that, you know, Coventry, they've got the tendency to go into these big away games and spring a surprise, and they did exactly that. And when you, I mean, yeah, they rode their luck. There's no doubt about that. Watford on another day convert probably two, three of them chances and win the game. But Coventry, they stood firm, they were resolute. And when you've got someone like Victor Jokeres at the other end of the pitch, which, you know, I think was a really underrated finish. I thought he took that goal so well. That was a lot harder than it looked. You know, if you've got someone like him, you've got every chance of winning games of football. And that's what Coventry are doing now. Five wins in seven, you know, kept clean sheets in each of those as well. They're looking a really, really well-oiled team at the minute. Is it stupid to say they could, they could could do a Luton well there's nothing to say it's impossible is there I mean look how tightly condensed this league is at the minute I mean they're currently eight points off the playoffs you know it's it's a it's a reasonably sized gap but with the games in hand they've got and the amount of football still to be played and the bonkers nature of this league it's certainly not impossible because we know you know top end of the pitch they've got arguably one of the best strikers in the division if you provide him and one of the best playmakers back fit again Yep, hey, um, Callum O'Hare, obviously Gustavo Hamer's key to their form as well. We know how good a player he is. And obviously at the back, they're absolutely rock solid at the minute. So, you know, they've got the, the necessary ingredients to suggest they are going to, you know, make progress as the season wears on. But, you know, you look at the teams that are beneath them in the table, you'd argue that Coventry are, you know, probably better than all of them, I think. They've only lost six games as well out of 17. And obviously they've got, you know, three games in hand on most clubs, two on others. You know, it's a big opportunity. Obviously, you've got to, games in hand, everybody knows, everybody talks about them like they, you know, guarantee three points, but you've got to get the job done in them. But I look at Coventry's, you know, next few fixtures. They, uh, they've they got Wigan at home as the last game before the World Cup pause. Uh, no, sorry, they've got Wigan on Tuesday night and then they've got QPR at home on Saturday. So they've got back-to-back home games against, you know, two teams that are struggling at the minute. What an opportunity that is. I mean, there's no guarantees because, let's be honest, no disrespect to Rotherham, but we probably wouldn't have expected Coventry not to have beaten Rotherham at home a few weeks ago. So there's no guarantee they're going to beat Wigan at home. But I look at Coventry at the minute and I think, yeah, they've got a fair run of fixtures coming up. And I wouldn't have said that about QPR long ago, but they seem to be strutting at the minute. And then after the after the World Cup pause, they've got Reading away, then Swansea at home, and then West Brom at home. You know, they've got a good run of fixtures coming up. They've got four out of the next five at home. If they can make the most of them, they're going to you know, absolutely pull clear. I, I never doubted that they wouldn't go down, to be honest with you. I never, ever had that concern that they would be in this relegation battle for long. All right, they're only three points above the drop zone, but 
I think they're far superior than most sides beneath them in, in the table at the minute. So, a really good win at the weekend. Things looking good. But it's this clean sheet record that uh, is making very, very impressive reading at the minute. Mark Robbins, you know, still doing a wonderful job in the grand scheme of things. But quite a rise for them in the last few years under him. Rotherham United 1, Norwich City 2. Seven points out of nine as he's some of the pressure on Dean Smith. But still don't think the fans are having him, to be quite honest, despite Norwich sitting in fourth. Rotherham gifted them the second goal. It was a very weird goal. I don't know what Grant Hall's doing. It's a shot from, if you've not seen it, shot from Sargent from outside the area. It does take a deflection. It's a decent hand from Johansson. It sort of spills into the penalty area. And he sort of tries to pass it back to his goalkeeper, like flick it back to his keeper. And Ramsey just runs in and scores rather than just kick it out for a corner. It was very strange. Very, you know, you think of Grant, Grant Hall as a very uh, no-nonsense centre-back and I don't know what he was trying to do really playing out. Not playing out, but I just don't know what he was... Why you'd kick it that way towards your goal, I'm not. I'm just not quite sure. So that was a bit of a gift which gave Ramsey the winning goal. Um, it was a game that got a few errors in it, really, to be fair, because Sarah co- cocked up for giving the ball away in midfield, which allowed Rathbone to get the equaliser. And the first goal for Kenny McLean was a little bit scrappy as well, um, heading in at the back post. I thought Rotherham had a decent shout for a penalty. I, Isaac Hayden or, or Ben, it was definitely booked, it was booked for diving. It was definitely not a dive. Do you think it was a penalty? I think so. End of I day, think if, so too. If you you know if you're going to book him for simulation, if it's the other way around, you've got to give the penalty. If that happens anywhere else on the pitch, it's going to be a foul. There's no doubt about it. It wasn't a dive, so, was it? Like no matter no, what you think, not not, not everything that's not years. a penalty has to be a dive. Exactly. Not in a million years, and you know I could understand the reaction. I know. Ogbeni was obviously vividly furious. Um, I thought it was going to be a set off at one point. I thought it was going to be a bottle. A bottle was thrown onto the pitch as well from the home fans. Obviously, there's no place for that, but it just proves the frustration. And I think Matt Taylor said in his post-match interview that he understands the frustrations now of the fans and his players that they're just not getting the rub of the green with the officials. And you know, there's been a few calls in, in recent weeks. But I think you've got to think back that things balance themselves out. Rotherham were very, very lucky not to concede a penalty in that game with Huddersfield a few weeks ago. Huddersfield should have had a penalty when they when um, it was at 2-1 in the second half. So, Redone you know, was fouled, yeah. you, you, you are going to get them decisions. Every team has them. And I understand when, obviously, you get in a run of them against you, it does feel like it's you against the world. But, you know, it happens to every team. But for Rotherham... You know, they've experienced a difficult time of late. They have, you know, they came, obviously, into into the championship on a real high. They were flying at the start of the season. Then, obviously, the, the big loss of losing Paul Warren was obviously going to take its toll. Matt Taylor's come in. He's had a few decent results, but obviously not, not as many wins as he would have liked so far. And all of a sudden, you know, with West Brom winning and Rotherham's a bit of a drop-off, they're now only two points above the relegation zone. So... I don't know, it's just it's five games without a win now. It's four defeats in five as well. They're looking a little bit suspect at the back. But having said that, they were so close to, you know, winning at Burnley in the week if it wasn't for a dramatic finale there. So you kind of feel that, you know, on another day Rotherham would be a lot higher in the tail. They're just not getting that little bit of look at the minute that seems to always go against you when you're stuck in a bit of a rut. But I think things will turn for them. I do think they've got it in them to, you know, pick up points here and there to do enough to to stay up, which, you know, Rotherham fans might think, why are they only talking about us like that? But the ultimate objective when you get out of League One in your first it's season, be. is survival. 
for any club. It would be for anybody. It would be the same for Sunderland. And obviously, you know, in retrospect, they are a bigger club than Rotherham, they are seen. But, you know, Rotherham, you know, they've always been that team, haven't they, that have flirted with the bottom three whenever they've been in the championship. And it's quite possible that it will be the same this time around. But I think from past experiences, they will be stronger and they will have the mental strength to try and just keep their heads above water. Big couple of games coming up before the pause. Sheffield United away, Luton away. Two really hard games. But, you know, they, they gave Burnley a run for their money recently. Sheffield United away, hard game. Local derby, though. Anything could happen. So, don't write Rotherham off, but they need to, you know, they need to get a win from somewhere. Ideally, it would be good to go into the pause with one win, at least from these two games coming up. Nine games in 27 days is... is... It it's definitely it's, took its toll on the it squad, hasn't it? Matt Taylor, Matt Taylor said that said the same. I just think they're a different team without Ogbeni. I think Rotherham without Ogbeni get relegated potentially. I think Rotherham with Ogbeni have got one of the best players in that bottom portion of the division and a player that can probably keep them up if he's fit, if he's playing up front. Yeah. And he's the star. I think you saw that when he came on. The he quality is, he's he's, the, he's, he's got. He's a star attraction. He's a, he's a great player. So you know. You don't want to obviously rest everything on his shoulders, but you do feel that you know when he's fit and firing that they are going to stand a better chance of getting points on the board. So we'll see. Bit of a bit of a gut wrenching week for them because I think on another day, you know, if they see that job through at Burnley, they could have got four penalty. points quite comfortably. They could have easily got four points. So you know, disappointing, but you know, I think Matt Taylor, in a strange kind of way, can take positives from what he's seen. Obviously, in a in a really demanding period. Stoke City 1, Birmingham City 2. The John Eustace revolution continues. It's only two defeats in 11 for them now. Scott Hogan in the goals again as well. Awful mistake from Phil Jagielka. I think Jagielka's done brilliantly to still be playing at championship level at the age of 40, but he really showed his age with that, didn't he? Bad touch. Never getting past it. It, it took a while for him to turn around, let's be honest. And Hogan is quite quick anyway, and he was away from him. Really good finish from a, a striker in confident form. Eight in nineteen for him this season. I like Scott Hogan. I have to say, I think he's one he's of the best. Done the business. For like always out has. of the mid mid range strikers, he's not an elite striker at this level. He, he probably was obviously when he was scoring all those goals for Brentford, but, but for, I think he's one of the best of the like second tier of strikers in the championship. Yeah, I, I know say. what you mean. He's he's the steady Eddie, isn't he? You know, you're always going to get you know. Do you give him like if unless he's playing in a basket a basket case club that's bottom of the league, he'll score ten goals at least. Yeah, I agree. And I, I always liked him when he was coming through at Brentford. I, mm. I liked him there. I even remember him when he was starting to make a name for himself at Rochdale many years ago. And, you know, he's done a, he's done a solid job for Birmingham down the years. And well, like I say, you've always got the reliability that you know he's probably going to get 10, 15 goals a season. He's got eight already. He only scored 10 in the whole of last season, so he's very nearly matched that. Absolutely. And, you know, he's scored more goals now than any other player away from home in the Championship this season. He seems to have developed a habit for that. He's got five on the road this season. Nobody can nobody can match that. Good stuff. But you know, for Birmingham overall, though, what a run they're on! It's remarkable. And you know, you, you kind of look at the fixture and you think oh, it's bound to fizzle out at some point. I don't think it will. As I as I said on last week's episode, I watched the game in full against QPR a week last Friday night. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. That was the first time that I'd watched them, you know, as a full game this season, and I was really really impressed. You know, to go to a team like Stoke, who admittedly are struggling at the minute, they're not doing well at all, certainly at home, but they still have the character and, you know, the ability to get the job done. And, you know, 
it was pretty comfortable, really. I know Stoke made it a little bit nervy in the dying stages after getting that penalty back, but, you know, they look a good side. And John Eustace, for me, I think in the circumstances of everything, in terms of what, you know, what he's had to deal with off the pitch and the problems that Birmingham have experienced in recent years, I think he's a nearly contender for manager of the season with what he's doing. I know, obviously, people say, well, he can't be, he can't be, they're not going to get promoted, they're not in that position. But for what he's done, in comparison to obviously what's happened before him and what's lingering in the background all the time. He is, you know, he's reconnected that club. The fans are absolutely loving what they're seeing at the minute. And it's Throwing great to see life. them with, he has, with, with smiles on their faces. They've had to put up with a lot of rubbish, let's be honest, in the last few seasons. But unless anything drastically changes, I really can't see, him being, see Birmingham being in one of their traditional relegation scraps this season. They're four points off the playoffs. You know, they're 11th in the table at the minute. You know, could they, could they mount a surprise playoff charge? Possibly. You never know with how, with how bonkers this league is proving this season. But at the minute, I think their fans, it's, it's a simple sort of message for them. Just enjoy the ride. It's as simple as that. And they've got back-to-back home games before the pause. Swansea at home on Tuesday and then Sunderland at home on Friday night, which already looking like uh, my Friday night. sort of tuning into that one to watch them again. And I don't think there's any reason, really, why the, why they couldn't get six points from those two games because I think they've got the quality within them to get the job done in both. Stoke aren't clicking at all, are they? Though on the opposite Not at all. side, they look really poor. Four really wins, four wins in thirteen under Alex Neal since he came in, so he's had a decent chunk. He's had, they've only scored more than one goal, George, in three of those games. Mm-hmm. So in ten of those thirteen games, they've scored. Less than two two goals, so one goal or no goals, basically. And for a squad of that amount of attacking talent, he's not found the right system or shape or personnel to make them any sort of cohesive or fluid team. And they're now nineteenth, so they've they they are teetering downwards. They are, and you know, you look at the fixtures that they've had as well. No disrespect, Rotherham, you know, Wigan, Birmingham. They've only won one of those games. It's, you know, for an Alex Neal team, it's quite unusual because, you know, when he took that job, Sunderland fans were obviously, you know, they were furious, but at the same time devastated after what he'd done there. We all thought, what an excellent appointment. Obviously, being there, done it, got the T-shirt in the championship. But for whatever reason, it is just not happening this time around. And, you know, after those wins against Sheffield United and Preston, I really thought they were going to click and going to really start to climb the ladder quite quickly. Since then, they've won four, one in five, losing four. And as you said, the goals issue is quite concerning as well. It's a really strange one because, you know, you look at it and since he got the job at home, they've only they've only won one home game under him. That is a real problem. They've only won two home games all season so far, Stoke. And, you know, and if you're wanting team, to get, you know, people on side and to buy in and give you patience, you need you, you better they are, being good at home and a, a pro, atrocious away, really, aren't you? For, for time and time again, obviously, we've been, obviously, you refrain from doing it this season, but is this the year they get back into the Premier League? Is this the I've year? I've done it for two years now. And, you know, looking at them now, they look more like a team that could drop into League One. Never mind go back to the Premier League, you know. I know there's a lot of football to be played and we're not even at the halfway mark yet, but... They don't look good, do they? Only Hull and Huddersfield have lost more games than them now. And they just don't really seem to be clicking. And, you know, for the players that they've got, they, they should be doing better. They have got a good crop of players in that team. And it, it just always seems to be like the only man that ever seems to, you know, 
like when you're watching the scores come in on a Saturday afternoon, Stoke have scored a goal. Oh, it's going to be Lewis Baker. They never seem to score via anybody else. Obviously they do, but you know, you know my feeling. It always seems to be his name that you see pop up, but mm. things just don't look good, do they? And Alex Neil, you know, <laughs> could he possibly be regretting leaving Sunderland? Who knows? Because let's be honest at the minute, it just is not working for him at all. Stoke, for me, you know, they're in danger. I think they're one of quite a few teams that, in the last few weeks, have really changed my yeah, changed my opinion on them. And I just look at what they've got to come before the World Cup pause. They've got Lewin at home on Tuesday night, and then West Brom away on Saturday. <laughs> They're two difficult games because Luton are picking up the pace at the minute. West Brom are obviously doing the same. You'd say Alex Neely, he's got to win at least one of those two games. Really big week for Stoke because if they go into the pause, you know, if their form continues in this manner, it's, it's going to be far from ideal, you know, atmosphere around the dressing room. Two more 1 0 wins to round off this week's action. Cardiff City, they were winners at Sunderland 1 0 at the Stadium of Light. It's been a good week for Cardiff, who haven't been great away from home for this season, but they seem to like the North East, if you recall, beating Middlesbrough. 3 uh, 2 it was in the end, having gone 3 0 up on, on the Riverside. That was very much one of the nails in the Chris Wilder coffin. And a victory here against Sunderland. Mark Harris with the goal. A bit of an opportunist strike from a, a cross come shot, but they had chances okay. before that Cardiff, in fairness, and lots of love for Philogene Benance as well. He's he's being raved about by Cardiff City fans and, and media alike. Obviously on loan from Aston Villa, did all right with Stoke City last season. Certainly coming into his own, scored a great goal obviously last week against Rover against Rotherham at home. And he's certainly coming into his own in this Cardiff side. He gives them a bit of quality from the right hand side. Um, and I still think they could do the getting Callum Robinson back in the team. Obviously, he's suspended. Getting him back in will be a big boost for them. But if they've got him producing, Callum O'Dowd and maybe pick up some of the form he had at the start of the season where he looked so electric, um, then then Cardiff could be you know could start to to climb their way up the table. Mark Hudson's audition for the Cardiff job will obviously be continuing. I imagine they'll make a decision on that during the the World Cup break. I think it's more likely than not he'll get the job personally. I think. They'll probably get it till the end of the season and they might refresh very much in the way that Steve Morrison did in a lot of ways. So, interesting to see how that develops. From from a Sunderland point of view, George, there's been a little bit of unrest with Tony Mowbray and the recent results and the, the slide slightly down the table. Obviously, they beat Huddersfield 2-0 in the week, which was a good win. Another eye-catching goal from Alex Pritchard. Good, good sweeping move like the one they scored at Reading. But I think there's... Just a, a little bit of frustration creeping in. Ellie Sims is back fit again now and started at the weekend, but still not 100%, obviously. Ross Stewart's still not available. What have you made of Tony Mowbray's start at Sunderland? Well, you know, he started off, didn't he? You know, reasonably well, obviously. You know, he, he got two wins in his first three, two 3-0 three commanding victories. And since then, they've, you know, they've tailed off a little bit, haven't they? Obviously, only beaten Wigan and Huddersfield. Recently, I think it's only two wins in something like the last 10 or 11 games. You know, it's, it's not great, but I think you have to factor in the fact that they've lost, you know, their, their two main strikers. You know, Ellis Sims, as you said, has come back. Obviously, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get back up to speed again. But Ross Stewart, they're still without him. He is the main man. If you take your main strikers out of any team, you are going to suffer. You know, if Blackburn lost Ben Burrett and Diaz tomorrow and Sam Gallagher... I'm sure they'd they'd feel the pain. Same with Sheffield United if they lost Njai and McBurney. So 
I know. I think you need to cut Sunderland a little bit of slack. Certainly, Tony Mowbray is coming, obviously, with the club still riding the crest of a wave after getting promotion last season. Excitement was there. Got off to a pretty good start, as I said. But since then, they've experienced a rough patch. But, you know, you look at the teams they've lost to recently. They lost at Blackburn. They lost to Burnley. Albeit 2 up against Burnley and blew it. So they've not exactly had the easiest of schedules. There was a loss at Swansea as well, who have been obviously been doing pretty well of late. And been to Luton as well, another team chasing the top six. So I think in that respect, you've got to remember what they've been up against. But obviously, obviously the Sunderland fans are going to think, you know, we're a big club, big ground. You know, we we want to be chasing promotion again. It's We want to get back to the Premier League, which is absolutely fine. But, you know, there are teams that have been in this league now and know the way around the circuit a little bit better and a little bit more, you know, a bit more streetwise with it. But I don't think Tony Mowbray deserves too much criticism. You know, yeah, he, he'll not be happy that they've lost four of the last seven games. He won't be. Of course not. And I think, you know, the defeat to Cardiff at home, he will have looked at that and thought, that's a game we've got to be winning after winning at Huddersfield in the week. Let's build on it. But I don't think there's too much cause for concern because at the end of the day, they're newly promoted to the league and, you know, nearly halfway through the season, they're, they're sat in, a, you know, a respectable 13th. I think that's, you know, where you'd expect a team to be. Certainly, that's lost their two best strikers for the best part of what two months, two and a half months now, and still get to get Ross Stewart back, who is their main man. So, I don't think there's much cause for concern, really. I think they will pick up once once he's back, once Ellis Sims back to full strength. So, I think Sunderland will be fine. I can understand the fans' frustrations, nobody wants to, you know, go on a run like this, but it could be a hell of a lot worse. And then Luton Town, they beat Blackpool 1 0 at Bloomfield Road. Blackpool wrap. Abs ravaged. Well, first of all, Blackpool, the state of their squad, ravished by injuries, and somehow they didn't score. Two massive melees where Luton just chucked everything. The kitchen sink. Thought Nathan Jones came on and blocked one shot kitchen at one sink. stage. They chucked the kitchen and the house at it. I know, mental. Black, Blackpool, George. Blackpool could be without 14 players on Tuesday due to suspension. Callum Connolly suspended. Injuries. They've got a few injuries. And mainly a sickness bug going around the camp, which ruled out three players at the weekend. It also meant that Reese Williams was throwing up at half time. It meant that Charlie Patino was taken off at half time due to fatigue because he'd not trained all week. So I feel sorry for Blackpool because they deserved a point in spite of all these things. From a Luton point of view, they obviously great resilience, great um just bodies on the line, typical Luton chucking everything at it to to stand firm, and a nice story of Luke Berry getting the winner. I had not clocked that it was his first start since March. Obviously, I know injuries have derailed him from getting regular minutes, but I didn't realise it was as long as since March. And he, he averaged a goal nearly every two last season, albeit limited minutes. He, he's not like he played every game, but still had a decent scoring record. So nice for him on his first start to, to get in the goals. Nice good opportunism, getting in front of his man to nip in and, and turn in the match winner. So Blackpool deserved a point, especially when you consider the, the circumstances they had to deal with as well. Um, but Luton and Nathan Jones won't care one jot and we'll, we'll be quite happy going back down the uh, down the M1 with, with all three points. They certainly will. And they'll probably be wondering how the hell they've managed to escape with that win intact. But, you know, job done, isn't it? It's as simple as that. And it's, you know, they'll look back on that possibly come the end of the season and think, you know, how vital was that defensive performance but for Blackpool I mean they couldn't have done any more to score finished with an XG of 2.44 they, they couldn't have done any more so <laughs> you know score. Mike, Michael Appleton will 
probably be wondering, you know, this time next week, how the hell they didn't win that game. Never mind, get a draw out of it. So, you know, disappointing for them to lose, but performance-wise, you couldn't fault it. Certainly the circumstance of having so many players obviously unavailable. And, you know, the fact that, you know, you've got the suspension issues, injuries, and now a sickness bug, everything's just come at once for them. And probably for Michael Appleton, it might be a relief that the, the pause is, you know, right around the corner now. So I don't think Blackpool could be too concerned because, you know, overall, last few weeks, they've, they've been in some decent form, haven't they? They've, they've picked up even though they don't really seem to have gone anywhere in the league table, which I keep, still find weird because, you know... I feel like Blackpool have, won, have, have done pretty there. well. But, like, you see Coventry and Preston that have only won a... Yeah. F- like, it feels like they've not been on... Maybe not Coventry, but Preston, for example, win three in a row. They're up to sixth. And I feel like Blackpool have been in good form for a while and they're still <laughs> round in the bottom. Yeah, they've not moved. It's, it's weird. But, no, you look at Blackpool's next couple of games before the pause and, you know, they've got another home game on Tuesday night. Let's hope they can actually find a way to put the ball in the net this time. They've got Middlesbrough. That's a big game, that one, you feel. That is a big one for both teams. And then they've got Wigan away at the weekend, who are obviously absolutely atrocious at home. So, a big opportunity for Michael Appleton's side. Hopefully, he'll get some players back, possibly, for the weekend. And there won't be clean film over the goal. So, fingers crossed they can you know find a way to do something before the pause. Because... Like you said, they've been good for just not gone anywhere. It's really weird, but you know, you look at the fact what they have done though recently. I mean, they beat Watford. They should have won at Sheffield United in that one. So you know, they battered Preston. Let's not forget as well. So you know, we know what they're capable of. Saturday was just purely in the definition of one of those days. Simple as that. They couldn't have done any more. Yep, yeah, three draws in the Championship. Swansea two, Wigan two. Tough one for Wigan to take this one after going ahead. Uh, pretty early to a head with with a couple of headers from corners. Nice routines, although very soft defending from Swansea, it has to be said. Lovely goal from Ryan Manning to pull one back. And I thought the pen was a little bit soft on on Cal Norton personally. I think I'm not sure it was a penalty. I, I, I'm not I'm not saying it was a howler, but I, I'm not convinced it was a definite penalty. I don't know if you thought differently. No, I can't say I did. To be fair, I don't think so. And uh, so, yeah, that would be pretty good for Wigan, having gone to a head and, and hoping to get the monkey off the back. The, the, the form obviously has not been great for a while. They're in the bottom three now. And after such a strong start, they'll be hoping they can carry that momentum and, and hopefully get a, a win in their last two games before the break. Middlesbrough won, Bristol City won. Another game where I think, I don't really know how Bristol City got a point. I thought Middlesbrough on the, on the highlights created far the better of the chances. Max O'Leary busy in nearly every clip. They scored on the break. Andy Vyman ending his goal drought with, a, in fairness, a really nice move and really good composure from Tommy Conway to pick him out when a lot of young strikers would have perhaps shot from that angle, albeit it would have been tight, but a nice pass, good vision for Vyman. And then Akpom levelling. And then from you know from what you can see, it was pretty much siege mentality um, on, on, the, um, on the Bristol City goal. O'Leary showing good form, showing why he's getting picked above Daniel Bentley and has for a while now with Pearson shaking things up, trying to sort the back line out. And a decent point for Michael Carrick and more so a decent performance. I think he'll take more heart from that than anything else. And then finally, Millwall nil, Hull nil. Not a lot happened. So I'll ask you about Liam Rossini, who's been confirmed as the Hull City boss. I think it's a decent appointment. I think it's not an appointment. If you told me that it would take them six weeks to make the appointment after Schotter Avalos got sacked and it would end up being Liam Rossini, I wouldn't have believed you, but... Some joined up thinking, certainly, in, in making this appointment. Highly rated. Didn't 
didn't do a bad job at Derby, but they felt Paul Warren was a better shout to get them promoted. What do you think about him coming in at Hull City? Oh, I think it's a solid shout, to be fair. And like you said, it's just quite odd that it's taken so long to, to get it done because obviously there was connections, weren't there, with, with various overseas managers. And I think given the, the owner's nature of having recruited so many overseas players and obviously Avalazzi, when he showed the door to Grant McCann, I think we all thought that was going to happen again. But, you know, I think it makes a, a pleasant change to see, you know, a foreign owner going for an English coach, a young, upcoming English coach that, you know, has got a good, you know, good little bit of potential about him, I think. I think he did a good job at Derby, to be fair, in the in the circumstances that he was working in. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on, because obviously, you know, he knows the club inside out, the fans like him. And, you know, a point away from home, clean sheet first game with 10 men as well. It's a solid start against arguably, you know, one of the toughest nuts to crack on, on their own ground in Millwall. So, I think uh, Liam Rossini can be, can be pleased with the start that he's made. Obviously, a big, big job lies ahead. Obviously, they're hanging above that relegation zone by a very, very fine thread. But at the minute, you know, it's a platform to build on. I mean, got, having got a draw away from him in that first game. And next up for them, they don't play midweek. Reading at home next Saturday. So, big game. Big occasion for him, first home game. But Reading, you know, bit hit and miss. Hull have got to win that game. So, if they can sign off the break with a win... And Liam Rossini has taken four points for his first two with then two or three weeks to work with his squad without a game. I think he'd be very pleased with that. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To round off our podcast now, George, Shocks and Bankers time. There are midweek games, not quite a full slate, I don't think, but there are some games in midweek as well as some Carabao Cup action. So we're looking at the, the following weekend, the final match day before the World Cup pause. What have you got for your shock and your banker? I'm not playing this anymore. No more. I'm just useless at this. Every single one I've done in the last five weeks has gone the total opposite. I'm in decent form. You are in decent form. form. I'm I'm doing absolutely shocking at the minute. But anyway, let's see if I can sign off for the World Cup with a with a bang. So from a banker this weekend, I'm gonna go for West Brom at home to Stoke. West Brom, you know, improving. Stoke really, really struggling, so quite confident with that one. So congratulations to Stoke on the victory. But now I'm gonna go for West Brom as the banker as my shock this weekend. Quite a tricky one, this, I thought. But I'm going to go really brave. And I'm going to go for Cardiff to beat Sheffield United. Cardiff turning the screw a little bit. The blade's obviously flying at the minute. And as I say, shock's a little bit difficult to uh, to pick, I thought. So I'm going to go for the Bluebirds to to give the blades a bit of a jolt before the break. So Cardiff is my shock. West Brom is my banker. I'm going for Coventry to beat Queen's Park Rangers as my shock. Um, Coventry in really good form QPR not been at the best since Mick Beale decided to stay although I'm not saying that's why but Coventry in really good form keeping clean sheets QPR haven't scored in the last three either so Coventry beat Queen's Park Rangers then my banker I'm going to go with Birmingham to beat Sunderland Sunderland haven't been firing on all cylinders by any means as we've discussed in the pod goals not coming very easily with Ellis Sims not 100% and Ross Stewart out injured and Birmingham in a really good run of form. Scott Hogan scoring goals. They've been decent at home as well. Beat QPR last time out in an impressive performance. So I fancy them to beat Sunderland as my banker and Coventry to beat Queen's Park Rangers as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you get yours from for the latest episodes every single week. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod 24 
A huge thanks again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out for any of your business needs. And thanks again for listening. Thanks for choosing us. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast.